you have you ever heard the line, whose job is this? Whose job is this? That's the title of my message this morning. And psychologists say one of the primary causes of conflicts in a household involves disputes over what's generally called the division of labor. Some of you feel like all the labor falls on you and the other person gets excluded no matter what. So if the bed goes unmade or if the dishes go unwashed, or if the diapers go unchanged, whose responsibility was this to get this done? And oftentimes there is some wonderful bonding discussion that goes on over these types of things, and many households never had a calm, rational discussion about who is best equipped to take out the garbage or take the children to school, and in the end, lots of things don't get done because each person in the relationship really believes that it's your job to do this anyway. It's not my job, it's your job. Today, I want to take that question and I want to apply it in this way. Whose job is it for you to grow spiritually? Whose job is it? Today, I want to talk about the doctrine of sanctification. Now, that's a big word, but let me break that down to what it means. It really means growing in the Lord and becoming more and more like Him. It relates to the word holy in the Scripture. And and the gospel, of course, is, is not just that we get to go to heaven when we die, but the gospel is an offer to us that we can have life in the kingdom while we are here and while we know Him. And His desire is that from the moment that we intersect His grace, the moment that we come to know Him as Savior, that from that moment on that we would grow in Him, that we would become more and more like Him in the things that we do and the way that we speak. And that is called sanctification, becoming more holy, becoming more like Him. But for many Christians, there's this confusion about the division of labor as it relates to spiritual growth or sanctification. And they they begin to ask the question of God, God, whose job is this? Is this your job or is this my job? Now, some Christians have taken the position that sanctification or spiritual growth is entirely God's job. And they say, I can't do anything at all about growing in the Lord. I'm not capable of that. And they support their position with scriptures like Romans chapter 7, verse 18, where Paul says, For I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. Have any of you ever experienced that? I want to do the things of the Lord, but this nature of mine just is always fighting against me. And so... Within that, they cite verses and they begin to say things that human action toward being Christ-like is futile. In fact, you can find any number of authors and television preachers who will say that any time people talk about costly discipleship or about making sacrifices unto the Lord of your time and talents and abilities or, or obedience, they will respond, oh, no, 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 we are into grace That costly stuff, that behavioral modification stuff, that's legalism. And we don't want anything to do with that. And so that's one side of the coin as it relates to whose job is this. There's another side to that coin, and that's like Christians that take a military approach to their spiritual life. And they evaluate spiritual growth as a product of one's commitment level. And they might cite verses like this one found in Leviticus chapter 1144. I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves, and be holy, for I am holy. In other words, they look at that scripture and they believe that because of that directive of the Lord, that holiness, Christ-likeness, 
sanctification can be achieved in their life if they will just put enough work into it. If I just work hard enough, I can achieve being just like God. What that begins to look like in a church setting, and for those of you that may have been walking with the Lord for a length of time and you've, you've been a part of churches, you might have noticed this, that it becomes a contest then to see who the most holy is in the church, who's memorized the most Bible verses, who's witnessed to the most people, who has the most regular quiet time or prayed the most, or who does the fewest unrighteous things. And if that list is short, then suddenly you begin to feel, I am holy. The problem with that is that if that is the measurement for what you consider to be Christ-like, many people can do those even if love and joy is not produced as a result of it. So we look today at whose job is growing in the Lord? Whose job is sanctification? And I want you to know this. Sanctification is a joint project between us and God. So let's go to the Word of God this morning for clarification. If you have your Bibles or your smartphones that have a Bible app, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to act for his good purpose. First thing that Paul says to us is to work out our own salvation, which indicates to me from the very outset of this that you are going to have a role in this. This is not something that God is going to do without you. He's not just going to do all the work and you end up with all the benefits without any of your discipline. So Paul very clearly says, you have a role in this. But he goes on to say in that very same verse, for it is God who is at work in you. So in other words, you have a role to play, but you're not doing this project on your own. Growing in holiness, growing in righteousness, growing in your relationship with God is something that is empowered by God. In fact, it is absolutely impossible without Him. All you can do is make yourself available, but He does much of the work. And so when Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he doesn't mean that you should constantly every day live in this, this sense of anxiety that, oh no, God, God hates me or I've made a mistake and He's just waiting to give you a kick in the rear end to boot you out of heaven. That is spiritual insecurity that the Scripture does not talk about. So many times we live in this fear of what it means to work out our, our own salvation. But what he is suggesting here is that we have a role to play, but we don't control our own growth. Now, there's some things that you do control. You control when you want to talk on your cell phone, control when you want to drive a car, where you want to go when you get in there, but there's other things that you can't control. Things like the weather. Only God can change the weather. But there's this third category that I'd like to settle into for just a minute today and that is this how many of you love to sleep <clears throat> now I'm gonna make some suggestions today and I don't want you to do this immediately but just kind of just ponder it in your mind when you grow tired at night one of the things that most people do is that they 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 go to a place where the room is dark Maybe you're one of those that you have to turn on a sound machine so that there's some ambient noise so that if you're married and your partner snores, you don't hear it. 
Maybe you're one of those that has to turn on fans and you have to feel this breeze across you all the time just to make you come. But you know the setting that you need in order to relax, and so you get in there. And then you crawl into the bed, and some of you like a warm bed, and some of you have to stick a leg out the side just to keep cool. But you find, you find this place in there somewhere where it's just comfortable. And in that setting, you can't make yourself go to sleep, but you control the atmosphere that allows sleep to come. And I believe that the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is powerful and mysterious and we can't control it and we can't manufacture it. It's not about us coming with a program with predictable results that we control. But on the other hand, we're not passive in this. Our job is to discern where the wind of the Spirit is blowing and set our sails that we might catch it to know what God is doing. And so very quickly this morning, I want to highlight four crucial truths that the Bible teaches us about sanctification. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already attained all of this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul speaks about the sanctification to which he's been called, or the, the pathway to holiness that he's been called, and he goes, I just need you to know that I've not attained it yet. This is a journey, it's a pathway that God is on with me and he's, he's working with me and he's perfecting me. But here's what I am doing. I am taking my energy and I am pressing on to become just like Christ to the best of my ability. I'm placing myself in a position where he can do his work. Paul knew that his identity was already secure, not because of how well he did things, but here's what he says in verse 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So for those of you that have a bulletin and you're taking notes, there's an outline there. And the first thing that I would like to highlight is that sanctification is normative, not optional. It's normative, not optional. Alton Garrison, who is the assistant general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, in a book that he wrote called A Spirit-Empowered Church, classifies spiritual growth this way. He says we have groups of people that are called unbelievers. Those are people who have not yet received Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're living in a state of lostness. They are spiritually dead. But you can leave that stage and you can come into the next stage, which would be known as believers. Those are people who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior. They have intersected His grace and said, I know that I cannot make myself holy, so I lean entirely upon the work that you did on the cross, because on the cross, His last words were, it is finished. He was talking about my sin and yours. My ability to live in sin was destroyed there, and if I receive what He's done, then I enter into a believer. I, I have a belief system. But as a believer, I haven't yet become a learner to obey God's word. In other words, my behavior has not yet grown to confirm the things that I've already established in my heart. But you move from being a believer into an area of being a disciple. People who adhere to the teachings and the practicings of growing their faith in Christ and demonstrating a lifestyle that corresponds to the word of God. In other words, we begin to look more and more like who we proclaim to be. And then you move from there into servant leaders, people who've grown in their direction and the ways and the timing of the Lord. They share their knowledge of Christ with others so that they too can learn. They're involved in different aspects and ministries of the church. And then you get to a place where as you begin to mature more and more, you become a reproducer. People who mentor others through relationships to the point of helping them to become believers and then moving up through the ranks as they grow in the Lord. 
And so the goal for each believer is to continually grow and mature. And Paul says, I may get a lot of things wrong, and I don't have this thing perfect, but I want you to know that it is the goal of my life that I am going to work hard to put myself in positions where the Holy Spirit can do a work in me that will make me more like him. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What Paul is suggesting here is this. If you're not being transformed by God's renewing power, then you're being conformed by the opposing forces of the spiritual world that are opposed to God. In other words, spiritual formation is going to take place in your life. How it takes place and who it's given by is entirely up to you by where you place yourself. You see, we live in a world that deforms people spiritually. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified. It's God's will that you should be growing in holiness, that you should look more and more like Him on a daily basis. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy, because without holiness no one will see the Lord. And so the question that I would ask you today is, Are you pursuing holiness with full resolve? Is God sanctifying your life? Is there a growth pattern that's taking place? Are you becoming more like him every day? Because as you do, it's a normal process and it's not optional. Secondly, sanctification is both, both instantaneous and a process. We're very clearly told in the scripture... And it's one of the reasons that we rejoice when we sing, when we come together. And I know that some of you may be from churches that are not as expressive in worship as we are. And maybe you come from churches where the music is a little different here. I just want you to know that we have discovered a way that we are comfortable in worshiping God and proclaiming His name. He's worthy to be praised. And if I can cheer at a football game, I can certainly shout hallelujah to my Savior. But within that aspect... I recognize that the reason I do so is because there was a time when I was a little boy where I recognized that Jesus died for my sins and I asked him personally to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. And in that moment, the scripture says that I passed from death to life, that in that moment, my sins had, had all been paid for. I recognized Jesus paid a price I could not pay. And in that moment, all of my sinful nature was covered by the robe of righteousness. I get to take Jesus' place when I stand before the Father and wear his perfection. And the Father looks at me as if I had never sinned. Oh, hallelujah! That's what happens when we receive Jesus as our Savior. It's an instantaneous righteousness that is allowed to, to rest on us. Unfortunately, we don't die in that instant. Or fortunately, just depending on how you look. How's your day been today? Because what happens at that moment is now we've made a declaration of faith in Jesus Christ. And from that moment on, we live our life to pursue the process of having him formed in us. And so it's both an instantaneous process that instantly we are gathered into his presence and our sins are forgiven and a process by which we grow. I was, I was telling Cindy a story yesterday that I was... How many of you know that walking bridge that goes from the parking lot to the mall? It kind of goes over the road. I was walking on that this week, and I was following a young married couple, and they were kind of holding hands, and they're talking. And there was a girl that was walking the other direction, and she was wearing a workout outfit that had on uh, yoga pants and a, a way-too-tight shirt. And as she comes walking by, 
I'm, I'm looking at the couple in front of me, and as they're holding hands, and she walks by, and the guy just turns and looks over his shoulder and is checking her out. And his wife caught him as she's holding his hand, and she yanked his arm so hard <laughs> that I thought we might have to have a healing service for a dislocated... <laughs> and, and he looks at her, he stops right there, and he goes, What? I know we're married, but I'm not dead yet. My first thought was, you may be soon. <laughs> that young wife and young groom apparently had a different connotation of the words of their vows when they both promised that they would forsake all others and be faithful only to one another. Her reaction clearly demonstrated to her young husband that she considered his lusting after another woman to be an offense against the commitment that he had made to her. And she responded in a way that yanked him back to reality. He apparently was under the impression that forsaking all others was a physical thing only and that he was within his rights to look and to think about whoever and whatever he wanted as long as he didn't touch. And I begin to think about it. He had just given his life away because they don't look like they've been married very long and he certainly hasn't grown in wisdom since they got married. <laughs> but he thought in his mind that it was okay to withhold a part of that commitment of himself. And she was thinking in her mind that instantly when we were married, something in your relationship status changed. And you became committed and the rest of your life now belongs to us and me. You gave yourself to me and I to you. And as I thought about that, I said, this is the battle that we Christians face from the time that we make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have given ourselves away to him because he first gave himself to us. And we all want all of the benefits that come to the promises of Christ and the word of God that we apply in our life. But, but selfishly, there are some things that in this sinful world we want to just kind of take a peek at as we're walking by holding Christ's hands every now and then. And I want you to know that when the Holy Spirit yanks your arm, you've been yanked. It's called the convicting power of God. And he yanks us into the reality of, hey, I want you to know that my desire for you is that we would grow in holiness together in the commitment that we have made to one another. 2 Corinthians Chapter 7, verse 1 says that since we have these promises, dear friends, and then there's these words, let us purify ourselves. In other words, there is this effort that we have to put into making sure that we stay in places that are spiritually healthy for us, and we have to exclude things that we know that will be spiritually dangerous for us. Since we purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness, why do we do this? Out of a reverence for God. I want to revere God. And we call this the progressive aspect of sanctification. The scripture speaks of it as growing in grace or being gradually transformed spiritually. But the process is that we would become more and more like the Lord Jesus. Even though we will never, we will never attain perfection in this life, we are told to make every effort to live a holy life because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, how many of you are impatient people? I'm, I'm reminded of people that are in a hurry, so they get to an elevator. And they push the button, and the light comes on, and then they keep pushing it. 
Because somewhere in that elevator mechanism is this. Oh, 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 oh. I know we have eight people waiting to get on there, but the person on the fourth floor is serious about this. And so we're just going to skip every other floor and go right to that person that has pushed it 25 times because they want on this elevator more. You know, we live in an instant gratification society. And I don't know why we think that if we just keep pushing the button, things are going to happen faster. But there is a process that takes place within our lives. And, and in this, you need to know that sanctification will take time. There are stages, just like you go through grades and you learn and it builds the foundation for the next grade. So there are grades within our life that as we grow to those things, then we are capable of learning more about what comes next within our life and the Lord leads us and guides us. It's why he asks that churches choose leadership that are not novices. They're not new in the faith because there is, there's a wisdom that comes with years. And for those of you who are young today and you're wondering, who can I talk to about wisdom? Look for the people that... Are gray-haired or no-haired? <laughs> or partially haired? <laughs> and the thing that I love about Paul in this is he says, here's how, I, here's how I deal with the strategy for the things that I do wrong. Because he recognizes that none of us are going to be able to pull this off without mistakes. We're going to fail God. We're going to fail each other. And so he says in verse 13, I forget what is behind me. We tend to think of forgiving, forgetting as a bad thing, as something that we shouldn't do, but forgetting is indispensable to sanctification. We've got to learn to put our disappointments and, and disappointing ourselves and God behind us. We come to him and say, Lord, forgive me for the things that I've done that did not equal to what you wanted me to accomplish, but Lord, I'm not going to dwell on the past. I'm going to pursue what you wanted me today in the future. I am moving on with you, and yesterday's regrets are under the blood, and I'm moving forward. Therefore, I forget what's behind so that I continue to move forward. Thirdly, sanctification is empowered by God, not by man. John Ortberg states when he was talking about the kind of discussion the type of words that the apostle paul used he says when he talks about this transformation paul has a tendency to use certain grammatical form he says he uses an imperative which is used when giving somebody a command like if somebody was running into some place of danger and you yelled stop that is a command that's that is an imperative then there's another form that paul uses it's called passive voice a passive uh, indicates that there are things that happen to you that you didn't necessarily run into but they just happened to you like if you get struck by an illness or, you know, you pick up a germ where you're rubbing your hand across something and, and you get something from that, that's a passive thing. And so when he's talking about transformation, he uses a passive imperative, which is a really interesting combination because here's what he says in Romans chapter 12 too. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what the will of God is. Now, it is an imperative, but he doesn't, he doesn't say, transform yourself. He says, be transformed. The difference in that is an understanding in the, in the being transformed, you place yourself in a role where God can transform you. So you're, you're, the, the command, the imperative is place yourself where you can grow. It's why church attendance is important. This is a place where you come and the instructions of the Lord can come and you place yourself here. And I know that there's so many things that you'd rather be doing sometimes, but you do this out of faithfulness and you place yourself here so that God can minister to you. 
and you passively come and he does the transforming here's i was thinking all week what can i what can i what's an illustration that that can help us understand and here's what i came up with if you go to a beauty salon or you go to a stylist or for those of us without much hair we go to a barber you make a choice to go and put yourself in that chair they call your name you come and you sit in the chair and they strap you around with all the stuff to keep all the hair that they're going to do off of you. And then the stylist comes, and they look at your head, and they begin to imagine what can take place. Some of you have great canvases. Some of us, it's finger painting. And suddenly the scissors come out, and they begin to cut and snip and and, and, you know, and you're looking, and you look halfway through the job, and you're going, oh, no. Sometimes they wash your hair to get it clean. You know, and they do this work, and, and you're sitting there, and you're watching these things happen to you that you chose to have happen to you because you chose to sit in the chair. And then when the job is done, you walk out of that chair, and all of your friends, ladies, look at you and say, you look great. And you say, thank you. That is the perfect illustration of the working of the Holy Spirit to make you look more like Christ. You choose to sit in his presence, and he chooses what to clip. And then you get out of that chair, and you walk around, and the people around you are going, you look so beautiful. You remind me of Christ. And we're going, thank you. <laughs> like we take the credit for what God's been doing in our life, and all we choose to do is in pursuing him, I'm going to put myself in his chair in the place where he can do the work in me. So how is the Spirit of God blowing in your life? There are ways that you can discern how the Spirit is at work in life. One way, if you can tell if you're growing in the Lord or not, is, is to ask God, how do you want to transform me in this moment? Now, here are just a few moments that you may want to ask that question. When you are behind somebody who is mathematically challenged in the line that says seven items or less in the grocery store and they pull out 15, 20 and they're laying them up there one at a time and in that moment I would just encourage you say Lord I'm sitting in your chair what are you cutting off of me today when you're on the verge of procrastinating, procrastinating again of a project that you know that you need to get done and you can say God how do you want to train me in this moment to persevere another question that you can ask is through what spiritual practices or disciplines is God most changing me these days? Because the entire business of learning to rely on the Holy Spirit as our counselor from moment to moment to tell him everything is challenging. But as we sang this morning, God wants to breathe new life into our spiritual lives if you'll just let him by putting yourself in a place where he can do his work. And so you can allow the winds of the Spirit to blow in your life. That's why sanctification is never a mechanical thing that's why growing in the Lord is something is not it's not mechanical and it's going to look different in everybody else's life so if you expect other people to take the same pathway that you have you're going to be disappointed in them because it's going to look different because God is dealing with different areas of their life than he is with you but God is only going to ask you to be accountable for what he wants to do in you so I'm so thankful that not all of us have the same haircut today but we sat in the chair and we let him begin to do his work within us because he says there's beauty in diversity. 
And what I can pull together brings community. And it honors me. And so, you need to know that it's empowered by God and not by me. And lastly, I'm going to ask the worship team if they would please come as I prepare this last point. Sanctification should be pursued for the sake of others. It's not just for our own fulfillment. I recognize in the day we live in that there's a danger in pursuing spiritual growth because if it gets off track, if it becomes individualistic, it can even become narcissistic. And here's how I know that. Because in the New Testament, you look at the lives of the scribes and the Pharisees. And these were men that pursued an outward holiness to the point where they became extremely proud of who they were and what they did and what they did not do. And the New Testament looks at them and it says in Jesus' day, they thought of themselves as very holy, but they couldn't love anybody. Nothing they did was motivated by love. And so the New Testament never defines growing spiritually or sanctification in solely individualistic or, or, or narcissistic terms. It's always defined in terms of community. How is that lived out? It's lived out among each of us. Philippians 2.14 says that Paul writes, Do all things without murmuring or without arguing. In other words, as a community matures, and this is what I pray for for our church, I know that we have people, some of you that may not have made a decision to follow Christ yet. Others of you may have just made that decision, and, and in your life you're just taking baby steps. And, and there's others of you that have walked for years in all of this. And I, here's what I need you to know, that as we mature as a community, that God is at work within us. And we mature because we love one another. And as the elements are being distributed for communion this morning, let me just say that when you get them, would you please hold on to them until everybody has been served? And then we'll have them together. But we can get so preoccupied with how we're performing spiritually and how spiritually fulfilled we feel that we forget to live like a servant and love people. And God says sanctification is best noticed in community. And that's the desire of our heart.